Well, would you all stand with me, please? And uh, just a couple things I want to say uh, while you're turning in your Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, this morning. Uh, the first thing is, uh, next month, uh, my wife and I will be hosting a little gathering after the Sunday night service. And I don't have the date right in front of me. I think it's maybe two or three weeks from right now. And uh, we're going to share with you a little slideshow about some things uh, from our ministry. And then we're going to do some questions and answers. So be thinking of some real hard questions that you want to ask us. And uh, we always look forward to that every spring, just kind of a Q&A. We'll have a pizza fellowship. I believe it's after a Sunday night uh, service. And they'll be giving you an opportunity to turn some cards in maybe in the next week or so. The other thing I wanted to say is you guys have done a great job Pitching in with the church family and uh, just knocking on doors. And I think the college knocked on 30,000 doors. I think that all together we're way over 70,000 doors, pushing towards 100,000 doors now and just uh, reaching this whole community with the gospel. And uh, you've done it with a good attitude. Uh, I, I came into my class last Friday. They were even kind of hyper when I came in, just uh, having a good attitude. They'd been out soul winning, I think, uh, maybe that morning. Uh, but you've done such a great job, and, and there are some things that I get to do as the president of the college. I, for example, I can make up rules <laughs> just because, you know, I mean, and, uh, and I could even subtract rules. See, that's the problem with your generation, you know. We spent our whole life trying to build up and edify and build up. You guys are going to tear it down in one generation. That's what you're going to do. And, uh, but uh, anyways, the other thing I can do, I control the schedule around here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so with that little thought in mind, we're going to take this coming Monday and have no classes on Monday, all right? And uh, I'll let I'll, I'll, the, Dr. Asmussen, Dr. Getsch, they'll figure out exactly what we want to do, but probably there ought to be some donuts in the mix, maybe. Donuts in bed, Dr. How many of you think Dr. Rasmussen should serve donuts to the men's dorms? Yes, wouldn't that be special? And uh, so anyways, we'll, get, we'll have some special things for you on Monday, but they'll give you the exact schedule. But we want you to sleep a little bit, rest a little bit, catch up. And uh, most of all, I want you to just really rejoice this Sunday in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I, I do. I, I know that... Um, you know, that this, this is a season of life, and some of you, you know, your folks will have things at Easter and so forth, but I want you to enjoy this Sunday. I want it to be great in your life, and uh, you'll look back on this. College, college does go by, and, and uh, you'll be having your own traditions in years to come, but right now, enjoy these college year traditions, and, and I want to speak to you this morning on a subject that uh, is, is a little bit different, but I think is needed and uh, I, I really feel that it's, it's what Dr. Getch spoke about a moment ago, just finding some time this week to really worship the Lord uh, in your heart. And uh, I'd like to speak on the subject of worship today. Uh, and so from 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Peter rather, chapter 2, I'm going to read beginning in verse uh, number 1. And uh, I'd like to just speak on the subject, real worship, uh, 1 Timothy First uh, Peter, <laughs> I don't know why I have Timothy. I'm a, Timothy's a great guy, by the way. I'd say First <laughs> Peter, uh, chapter two, and uh, I want to read on this subject of of real worship, and uh, I trust that your heart will be encouraged as we look here. First uh, Peter, chapter two, and we're going to read actually beginning in verse four, shall we? Verses four and five. To whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, 
but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And perhaps we should have read verse 3, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many of you believe the Lord is gracious? How many of you have tasted that in your life? Amen. And so let's talk about how to worship the Lord who's been so gracious to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our college. Thank you for the graduates I saw uh, Monday night in Georgia, just doing a great job preaching and ministering. Thank you for the stand that they take. And I pray that you'd bless this student body in these next few moments. Teach us how to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's interesting when you study the Great Commission that you'll find just before giving the Great Commission, the disciples worshiped the Lord. And we believe that worship should always precede action. We believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. And oftentimes today, in, in your generation and mine, when people speak about worship, uh, there are weird pictures that come into someone's mind. Some people think that worship is like smoke-filled auditoriums, and how that ever happened just still boggles my mind, how that someone would liken a rock concert to worship. Uh, we're going to see in just a moment, God is still a holy God. And, but some people think in their mind, when they say worship, they've, they've got in their mind a guy with an electric guitar just blaring away, and that's, you know, that's what worship is. And then some people think of a, of a monk in a monastery, you know, walking around, and that's what worship is. And, and, and people have a lot of varying different ideas about what worship is. But we're going to learn today that worship really is the act of a reverent heart uh, it can be described in different ways depending upon the text. It, it can be described as to kiss toward uh, the Lord uh, and uh, to give love toward the Lord. It can be described as uh, literally the act of prostrating oneself down in humility and to give homage to the Lord. But worship is an act of the heart that shows reverence to the Lord. One of my favorite illustrations of worship is Matthew 2 and verse 11. When they were come into the house, the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Now, the word worship, then, comes from our English word worth-ship, and it means uh, to be worthy and so when we bow, uh, when we sing, when we pray, we are saying, Lord, you are worthy. Uh, and, and here we see that worship should involve both our attitudes and our actions. We're going to learn this morning, <clears throat> worship is not just an attitude in a church service, but literally our life, the way we live our life, can be an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very important that we uh, have a heart that is totally focused on the Lord. Uh, I was <clears throat> preaching to, uh, preaching, I was talking to a younger pastor this morning, and he had been criticized about something, and he's a little bit, a little bit frustrated, and by by an older pastor, and and I and I told him, I said, listen, in ministry, your target is not the unsaved millennial, and it's not the critical pastor. You're, we're not to please men. That's not what it's all about. You have one goal in ministry and in worship, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And we always want to remember that in, in worship, that Jesus is the target in worship. I've said for many years that 
uh, that success is a moving target, but leadership is a fixed goal. And Jesus Christ is the goal, right? And Jesus Christ is the goal in our worship as well. Uh, the two biggest sellers in the bookstore today are the cookbooks and the diet books. The cookbooks tell us how to prepare food that is amazingly tasty, and the diet books tell us not to eat it. And that's sort of how people are with worship. They're confused, and they're not really sure what it is or how uh, to give it to the Lord. Now, the book of the Revelation also, by way of introduction, tells us that we have a worthy object of our worship that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 4 and 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 5 and verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain uh, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And one of the things we want to do this Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, is we want to say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He is not here. He is risen. And we want to worship our resurrected Savior this Sunday morning. And I have found that sometimes people worship with more of a reverent style and sometimes more of an exciting style. And I was preaching uh, Monday night in, in Atlanta, and boy, the choir was so excited there, and they were singing out. And, and uh, uh, it's just a blessing to see in different cultures and places that when you love the Lord, you want to worship Him from all of your heart. Now let's look at this subject of worship if you're taking notes. I want you to notice, first of all, the people of worship. The people of worship. The Bible says in verse 4, To whom coming, speaking of Jesus, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. Now, the object of our worship is verses 3 and 4, the Lord Jesus, the living stone. But in verse 5, we see the people of our worship. Ye also as lively stones. I want you to notice the lively stones. We are the lively stones. And the reason we are the lively stones is because we are connected to the living stone of verse number 4, the Lord Jesus Christ. And together... We lift up the truth. Now, Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So the members of the church are the lively stones, and the lively stones, one upon another, form the church. The church, as we know, is not this building, but it is made up of the believers, Ephesians 2 and 20, and are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. By the way, I read an article recently by an, uh, by an author out of, uh, out of uh, New York City who was saying that, uh, you know, now that he's just following Jesus only and he's had a little bit of a grace awakening, that he doesn't even feel he should preach uh, from the Old Testament. May I say to you, that is utter nonsense and really ridiculous teaching. Notice what the Bible says. Turn to Ephesians 2 very quickly. I want you to get this in your mind because uh, many of these people that are following after some form of false grace oftentimes say things that sound very Christ-centered, but in reality, Jesus Christ himself taught us, and I want you to see this, in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote it. He said, are built upon the foundation, this is speaking of the church, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles, and what's the next word say? Jesus. 
What's it say, preachers? Apostles and what? Prophets. So the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning by that that uh, we have the Old Testament for our learning. It is the inspired, infallible Word of God. And anybody that would write a book and say, you know, we don't need to preach from the Old Testament. It's too moralistic. It's too legalistic. Yes, we must rightly divide it. We must give the context. But we absolutely thank God that the Old Testament is His Word as well as the New Testament. And it says we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone. But then verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. That's speaking of us. That's speaking of us as the lively stones. We are gathered together. We are the church. And not only are we the lively stones, but secondly, if you're taking notes, we are the believer priests. Now you'll see where this attaches to worship. So just bear with me for a moment. But notice again what it says in our text there in verse number five. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. If you're with me so far, say amen. We're the lively stones. We're alive because we're attached to the living stone, Jesus Christ, and we're built one upon another, and so the church is a spiritual house of believers. But then notice it says next, you are built up a spiritual house. Now it says this. Now catch it, please. And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the people of worship are the lively stones and they are the believer priests. Now we are all a part of the holy priesthood. One of the Baptist distinctives is what we call the priesthood of the believer. Would you say that with me? The priesthood. All of us who are lively stones are also a part of the royal priesthood. That is why we do not go into a little booth and confess our sin to a so-called priest because we, as believer priests, can go directly to our high priest, Hebrews chapter 10, and we can confess our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many of you are thankful for that? Because we're a part of the royal priesthood. So we're likened to a building, we're likened to a temple, but also a priesthood because uh, we as believer priests are to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his church. And as believer priests, we can serve the Lord with our life individually and we can worship the Lord as we will this Sunday morning together in his house. So the people of worship, only the redeemed can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot worship the Lord if you have not been redeemed. And if you are redeemed, you are a living stone. You are a believer priest. And I say this to you, it is God's will for his priests to bring worship to him. And that is our responsibility and privilege today. So the people of worship, that would be God's people. But notice, secondly, the priority of worship. Now, what is the priority of worship? Some would say, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, it, 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 the worship was just jamming today. And you would get the sense from that that the priority is maybe a vibe, you know. Others would say, oh, the worship was, it, it was just so uh, so quiet, and, and, and it was some meditational. And to them, it's based on that sense of their feeling. And I want you to recognize today, worship is not about a feeling. Okay. I don't have a problem. Sometimes we'll turn the lights down a little bit. We'll do some kind of drama, or we'll do some video maybe this Sunday. That's all fine. Let me tell you something. 
we're not trying to create the mood for worship. Worship is not a mood. Worship is about the truth. And so I want you to turn, if you would, to John chapter 4 and verse 20. John chapter 4 and verse 20. The priority of worship. What is the priority of worship? Now let's notice what it says here in verses 20 through 24. And, and you know the story here, just to give you the background. This is the story of the woman at the well, and Jesus has confronted her. Uh, she's been married five times. The man she's with right now is not her husband. And, of course, she wants to argue about religion with Jesus. Uh, how many of you would agree with me? That's probably the most ridiculous argument she ever had in her entire life. <laughs> By the way, look right here. Don't you ever get to the place where... You have the spirit of the know-it-all more than your home pastor. Honestly, I, I hear people at 28 years old, well, you know, Dr. Getch said, but I just got to tell you, I read this book once. Really? Really? Someone who's been saved 50 years, who's memorized 14,000 verses in the New Testament, you watch out for those guys that think they know so much that they're going to start calling out 30 and 40 year Bible believing Baptist preachers as not knowing enough. Come on now. Be careful with that spirit. And it's, it's about as silly as this woman coming up and trying to argue with Jesus. But notice what, what is said here in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and they say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye know not. No, what ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh to for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the priority of worship, first of all, then, is that we're to worship him in the spirit. Now, as believers, we are set apart by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God and hath also sealed us and hath given the earnest of the Spirit into our hearts. When someone is saved, according to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7, they receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit. After that, you received the word of truth. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And so you were indwelt by the Spirit of God, Romans 9 and 7. If we have not the Spirit of God, we are none of His. In other words, uh, you don't get Jesus one day and maybe the Holy Spirit five months later, but you're born again by the Holy Spirit, and, and we are commanded. There are several commands in the Scripture concerning the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to pray in the Spirit. We are not to quench the Spirit. We are not to grieve the Spirit. And we are to walk in the Spirit. Those are the five commands concerning the Holy Spirit of God. God says, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And I want, to, I want to lead you. Listen, I want to lead you in worship. Now, if we think we should walk in the Spirit at Michael's Warehouse, and if we think we should walk in the Spirit at the dorm, why would we not walk in the Spirit at church? We must worship in the Spirit. Now, students, listen. Let's just think about this for a moment. How many of you believe the Christian life's a holy life? And how many of you believe the the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
And the word holy means to be set, come on, help me, apart. So if we're worshiping in the Spirit, it's not going to be about uh, carnality. It's not going to be about uh, self. It's not going to be a sensual vibe. If we're worshiping in the Spirit, we're going to be walking in holiness, and we're going to be pleasing Him. And yes, that's why pastors are sensitive uh, about uh, what goes on in the worship. That's why in our Bible-believing churches, we're sensitive about uh, how the singers dress, because we don't want the focus to be on the carnal, where some minds could go. And that's why we do have some leadership requirements or some standards, because we believe that worship is holy. Uh, worship's not like a concert uh, in the world. It's a, it's a holy time of worship. And and, and that's why we're sensitive over the years from time to time. I've said to our, our music leaders, I'll say, and, and they do a great job. I, I thank the Lord for them. Once in a while I'll say, you know, let's not do that song anymore. And, and, and frankly, uh, someone might say, well, this about, you know, authorship or origin. Some of those are valid arguments. But to me, the two greatest arguments in music are, first, is it theologically correct? And secondly, is it a dominant melody in that song? Is it a song that's coming across clearly punctuating right doctrine and, and, and the right spirit, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord? And, and if it's something that just seems to be kind of a showy thing in the flesh, and some people will see that a little differently, and that's why uh, we practice grace, and that's why we're independent Baptists. We practice grace toward one another. But here's what I want you men to realize, that God is a holy God, and that we worship him in spirit. And I can't explain to you uh, technically, maybe like others can. I can only tell you this, that when I'm perhaps in my car and something comes over the radio and my spirit, the spirit of God is not bearing witness with my spirit about that. I want to change that. And boy, as a pastor, if that happens, I want to be sensitive to that because we worship God in spirit. We don't worship God in flesh, in the, in the fleshly way. In our physical flesh, yes, but not in the sense of, of a fleshly uh, dominant appetite. We want to have an appetite for the things of God. So the priority of worship, according to what Jesus said, we worship in spirit. We follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But then he said this there, and I'm sure you noticed it. He said also, we worship in truth. He said, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe our spirit must be guided by the Holy Spirit. And I believe we must also, secondly, worship in the truth. Now, truth, of course, must be accepted. In other words, how many of you get this illustration? If someone is saved Sunday morning, and they're in the spirit on the Lord's day, and we're singing because he lives, or we're singing I serve a risen Savior, whatever. Someone who's saved and someone who's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, they, that truth is just going to ignite their heart, and they're going to be singing out to the Lord because of the Spirit and because of the truth. It just ignites in their heart. The Spirit of God agrees with the truth of God always, and it is igniting in their heart. But the guy next to him who's not saved, he doesn't have the Spirit, he doesn't believe the truth. He likes the place. The music's okay. The people are a little weird. But how many of you understand? It's just not the same thing to him. But someone who's worshiping in spirit and truth, that's pretty dynamic. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty awesome to worship the Lord. And by the way, I don't need a band to get me to the place of having excitement. Hey, listen, friend, if the Holy Spirit in your heart and the truth of the resurrected Savior doesn't get you happy, you're sunk. I don't care how loud the band gets. 
Because the Spirit and the truth, that's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to come to me with the Spirit and with the truth. And in fact, he says to this lady, you worship what you know, not what. You don't even know what you're worshiping. See, some people worship because their grandparents worship there. Some people worship because it feels good. The other day I was talking with a pastor and he was talking about a young couple in his church and he, the pastor's resigning the church and he said, I think this couple will probably, they're just looking for where they can kind of feel good and kind of fit, you know, where they just kind of feel. And I said, you know the scary thing about that? If they follow kind of the feeling, which we would call the soul, the seat of the emotions, if they kind of follow what they feel like, they're probably going to fit into a church where they feel good and the vibe is good and the music is cool. But you know what I told the pastor? I said, sadly, if it's all about their feeling, there probably won't be the name Baptist over the door. There probably won't be the King James Bible in their hand. And the pastor, like the pastor at Willow Creek, will probably be drinking when he falls into sin. Listen. Thank God that we worship not only in the Spirit, but we worship in the truth. And when you seek a place to worship, it's not just about the vibe. It's about the truth. Is the truth preached there? Because some might say, oh man, this feels so good. Bring it on. Turn up the bass a little bit. I love how this feels. Worship is not First in, for, in the first place, how you feel, it is in the first place based upon the truth of the Word of God that is being presented. And if you follow how you're feeling, you might follow yourself, you might find yourself right outside of the truth someday in a false church. And I challenge you that Jesus himself said, they that worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. And so here we see uh, that we are challenged by the Lord Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he challenged us. No one comes to the Father except by him. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll tell you why the truth is so important. So important that we emphasize it. If you would, just turn there very quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You've seen this passage. But Paul says to Timothy, in, their, in, in the first recorded Bible college in the Bible, one-on-one -on -one mentoring. I charge thee therefore, Timothy, he's saying, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now notice this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now think about that phrase. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Let's say that together. The time will come. We live in a day when pastors at some non-denominational pastors fellowship have an open bar. They have their wives preaching for them as they're giving in to feminism and soon they'll give in to the gay movement, I have no doubt. We're living in a day where doctrine's going down and down and down. We're living in a day where they say, look, it doesn't matter what version. Hey, it doesn't matter if you believe in eternal security or not. You want to speak in tongues? Fine. It doesn't matter. And we're living in a day where the, the music is going up 
and the vibe is getting stronger, but the doctrine is getting weaker. And I just want to tell you, this is my personal conviction. Take it for what you want. I'd rather go to a church with an 88-year-old lady playing the organ and a deaf guy up there leading the singing, but the preaching is ready and hot and doctrinally sound. Hey, I'd go there any other day because I'm not going to sacrifice the truth for how I feel. I'm not going to do that. Now, I happen to believe that you can really enjoy singing and worshiping and still have some really great preaching and put it all together, and it's awesome. But I'm just here to tell you, when someone says, you know, we're just going to find kind of where we feel really good, you better be careful. And they'll, and they'll always say, well, that church believes in God too. Let me tell you something. The devil believes in God, and the devil trembles. The devil's even emotional about it. I want you to get fixed while you're here upon the truth. The truth of the Word of God. Get your doctrine down because the Bible is very clear. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll not follow after sound doctrine. And the fact is that if some of you allow the wrong styles to begin to dominate your heart, and a few of you no doubt are right now, You'll follow like others who have literally just kind of walked away in, into some other, uh, some other tradition that de-emphasizes doctrine. And I want you to recognize if you read through the book of 2 Timothy, you're going to find the word doctrine over and over and over and over again. Doctrine still matters. Okay. So Jesus said, worship me in spirit and in truth. I think of Romans 1.25. It says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Now think about that. This pagan Gentile culture, you know what God says about them? Oh, they worshiped. Listen to me, look up here. They worshiped. They had their worship music. They, they, they had their Justin Bieber. They had their, uh, their people that led their worship. But you know what they, they did? It says they turned their worship. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped the creation. How many of you are aware that many of the United Methodist churches, which were originally influenced by the Wesleys, who wrote many of our hymns and who preached across England and America, how many of you know that many of the United Methodist churches, they make a bigger day out of Earth Day than Resurrection Day? you aware of that? What are they doing? They're worshiping the creation rather than the creator, right? We don't want to put the emphasis on the creation, that's us, self-worship, how we feel. We want to keep the worship emphasis on the creator God of the universe. So the people of the worship, that's us, we're a royal priesthood. And the priority of the worship is very simply that in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, we would lift up the truth and we would get excited about the truth. And I happen to believe that if you're excited about the truth and, 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 and someone's preaching the truth once in a while, you can say amen. I, I happen to believe you can smile. I happen to believe when you're singing, you can let it out. I, I'm just simply saying that it's got to be based on the truth because we do not move from emotion to truth. We move from truth to emotion. You show me a group that has to get the band up before they think God is there, I'm, I'm worried about where they're going to go in their belief system. But 
You show me some folks that are worshiping in the Spirit, and they're, they're getting excited about the truth, and they're getting a little emotional, like the folks where I was Monday night. Boy, they were just, some of them laughing and crying, clapping their hands, and some of them even lifting their hands or whatever. Say, does that bother you, Brother Chapel? Not if it's truth first, emotion second. What bothers me is when we've got to build up the emotion in order to try to then figure out where the truth is. I'm saying as you mature in the faith, and you hear a preacher standing up and preaching on the death, the burial, and the resurrection, I'm telling you right now, that ought to explain. Excite your soul to hear that preaching like that. So Jesus said, people that worship me, they worship me in spirit and in truth. So we see the, the people, that's us. The priority, that's truth. And then notice finally the practice, okay? So let's go back to 1 Peter for a quick moment. Almost done. Go back to 1 Peter now. Or 1 Timothy, they're both really good. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to see here now our responsibility, our practice of worship. How do we practice? Verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Notice this now. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And by the way, Nothing that I do is acceptable to God without what Jesus Christ has done for me. Do you understand that? He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Watch this. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him and through him. The only reason that I have acceptance with, the Lord, with God is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? And the only reason that, that my song and my service and my preaching and my living can be pleasing to God is because of Jesus Christ. And so the practice of worship, first we must hold up the truth. The Bible says that we are as lively stones. We are as the pillar and the ground of the truth. And the vital part of true worship is that it teaches and preaches God's Word. So whether it's a song or a sermon... We must make sure that the truth is lifted up in the service and in the worship time. And the wonderful thing about good music is that it's reinstating the preaching of the Word of God. It's complementing the preaching of the Word of God. Because as I said a moment ago, it's doctrinally sound. And it's, it's preaching truth even as it's being sung. And so uh, we are to hold up the truth. And we're to hold it up, first of all, to the saints. A part of the job of the priest in the Old Testament was instructing Israel in the Word of God. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest and the Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. So one of the reasons we lift up the truth is because the saints need to hear the truth. Listen, my grandchildren need to hear the truth, and, and, and the children in Sunday school need to hear the truth, and, and, and the elderly need to hear the truth. We need to lift up the truth before the saints. And then, of course, we need to lift up the truth before the lost. One of the reasons that we worship in truth is because there's always somebody who's unsaved who's watching us worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, and he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. 
You see, the goal and the reason that that Paul wanted order with the Corinthian church and they were so out of order with the tongue situation and all of the uh, selfishness in that church, the reason he wanted order, catch this, is because when unsafe people came, he said, I don't want everybody prophesying. We don't need 10 people preaching at one time. We don't need 20 women speaking in tongues. Paul said, I want you to do all things decently and in order. You can read it, 1 Corinthians 14, so that when somebody comes in who's not saved, they can understand what's being being said and get saved. And I just happen to believe that if unsaved people see saved people in the Spirit really preaching the truth, they have an opportunity to get saved themselves, you see. And so it's for the saved and it's for the unsaved. So we hold up the truth for the saved and the unsaved. And then finally, we in our worship have this practice, not only to hold up the truth, but to honor Jesus Christ with our sacrifices. Now some of you listen carefully and jot this down we'll be done. The believer priest, that's me and that's you, we can offer sacrifices to the Lord. And serving the Lord is our privilege. It's a privilege to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now some of you guys listen to this, some of you guys need to jot it down. If you're ever going to get past giving devotions to the nursery, you need to learn that you're a believer priest. And that you're to lead people in worship. And you're to worship yourself. And the Bible teaches this privilege in Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's what worship is. It is to serve the living God. And when you consider all of the words used for worship, you find that the the word worship involves both our attitudes and our actions. It, It involves the heart and it involves the life. And so we honor Christ with our sacrifices. Let me give you a few practical ways that we worship Christ, and then I'll be done. Here's some ways that you as a believer priest can worship Christ. Number one, with the sacrifice of your person. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Is that not what it says? Which is your reasonable service. So you say, well, I'm a believer priest. Where do I start with that? I mean, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a Catholic priest, but I'm a believer priest, part of the royal priesthood. How do I practically worship God? Number one, make sure that you as a believer priest are laying on the altar, Romans 12, 1, yourself to the Lord. Lord, before I preach, before I sing at Easter time, before I do any of the other stuff, as a part of your royal priesthood, I lay myself down to you today. And I give myself to you in an act of worship. How about trying that in your devotions tomorrow morning? Because we've got a lot of people leading Christian rock bands who I'm convinced don't really know what it means to give their their own lives as a living sacrifice. And they're trying to sing to our generation today about how to serve Jesus Christ, and they're not presenting themselves. And that can happen in our good fundamental churches as well. So worship begins by giving yourself to the Lord. Secondly, you can give the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is to say, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, some Bible college students are great at sarcasm, they're great at criticism, but they're not great at praise. And God says, I want you to learn how to praise. And that's why I gave out songs to our church the other night. And that's why I've been emphasizing in the prayer series on the importance of praising God. Because as believer priests, we can praise God. 
And again, even before we do that in, with a microphone or even before we do that in a lesson, we can do that from our own hearts as unto the Lord. And then thirdly, you can give God as a priest the sacrifice of prayer. And we don't need like the uh, Old Testament tradition. We don't need uh, uh, the censer. We don't necessarily need the, the smoke in the sense to symbolically lift up the prayers because we have at the very right hand of God the Father, at this moment we have a mediator whose name is Jesus Christ. There's one God and one mediator between God and man and it is the man, Christ Jesus, and he is waiting for you to say something to God. He's waiting for you to be a priest to bring this prayer to God. Revelation 5.8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. I think about the hymn that we sometimes sing, Come Thou Fount. The author of that song said these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I believe that many times that being prone to leave is because we're not offering the sacrifices that we should offer. And God, God has called us to offer ourselves and to offer our praise and to offer, offer prayer. Let me say this. How about the sacrifice of your possessions? Giving to the Lord. You know, some say, well, I had to give money to the church. We don't give to the church. We give to the Lord through the church. And I consider my giving to be an act of worship to the Lord. Philippians 4.15, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even at Thessalonica you sent unto me time and time again unto my necessity. Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that might abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor, listen, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable well-pleasing to God. Listen, if you're in the Spirit following the truth, when you put money in the offering plate, that is worship to God. Right? Now, if you're in the flesh thinking, yeah, I better do this, they're probably going to check. <laughs> That's not necessarily an attitude of worship. But just like singing can either be, you know, oh, victory in Jesus, when's this going to get over? Like that, in the flesh. Or it could be, from your heart, sing it to the Lord. Giving can either be a duty or giving can be a worshipful delight, giving to Jesus. And then finally, the sacrifice of your person, your praise, your prayer, your possessions, and let me just say, all of this for the glory of God. That's the goal of the priest, to bring honor and glory to God. So, We've hurried here, but let's review and we'll be done. First, the people, the people who do the worship. Oh, that's the singers on the stage. I don't think so. It's those of us who are the lively stones, those of us who are the believer priests. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing that we emphasize to the church family. Let's all worship the Lord. Right? So I think that's just energetic music guys that say that stuff. No, I think it's someone that understands worship's not for these people back here. It's for all of us. So we're the people of worship. And then we saw the priority of worship. The priority of worship. Jesus said, they that worship me must worship me. How? In what? And the Spirit is a what kind of spirit? What kind? And so a Holy Spirit, 
He said, and they that worship must worship me in spirit, and they must worship me in what? truth. And that means doctrine. And that means we don't follow our gut feeling and the bass guitar into what we believe and find ourselves in a United Pentecostal church where we lose our salvation. It means we follow the truth under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, the practice of our worship. Our worship as believer priests is that we're saying, Lord, here's my life. I present it to you. Lord, I want to praise you this morning. Lord, here's my prayers. I, I want them to be a sweet smell to you. Lord, here's my offering. Lord, here's my life. Take it. I want my life to be worshiped to you. You know something I could never figure out? Some people talk about worship and they talk about grace. And I've heard them say stuff like this. Well, I'm under grace. I can drink if I want. Where are the people who say, I'm under grace. That's why I'm going to be a missionary at Africa. Grace is not getting to do what you want. Grace is growing in to the conformity of the image of Jesus. And the more you grow in grace, the more generous you become, the more yielded you become to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's this idea? You know, I, I can just worship how I want. I don't think so. Not and be pleasing to the Lord. I really believe we want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I pray for you today, as Brother Getz said, when you get alone with the Lord, and when you think about the cross, when you pray, when you thank Him, when you sing to Him, that this will be a great week of worship. And I pray when you come marching in here on Saturday or Sunday morning, that your fundamental focus is going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, and how you can sing to Jesus, and how you can learn about Him, and how you can give to Him, and how you can make sure before Easter's over that to the best of your knowledge, you're just totally yielded to the one who died for your sin and rose up again. And it doesn't take any particular kind of orchestra or any particular kind of decor on the walls. There's not a certain number of lilies that can bring revival to your heart, but what can change your heart is being in the Spirit on the Lord's day and opening your heart to the truth of the Word of God. That's what worship is all about. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our student body. And Lord, this word worship is a buzzword. But may this particular group of college students at West Coast Baptist College never turn away from the Holy Spirit being the leader of their worship and the truth of the doctrine of the Word of God being found very central in their lives as they worship. As they worship you personally, as they lead in worship, give them these convictions is my prayer. Lord, bless and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. The piano's playing. You may want to just come and, and worship the Lord right now. Just take a moment. Some of you need to deepen your convictions about what worship is, and you need to stop making it about how you feel. And you need to center it upon Jesus Christ himself. It's not about following your feeling. It's about following the Holy Spirit into the truth.